Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome back to the intro. This is your host, Matt Delavalle, a.k.a. MDV, and you're sitting down with me for episode 82, the one about developing coaches, part numero uno. That's right. This will be a multi-series discussion on a really big topic in the fitness space, coaching development. Now, like I said, coaching development is definitely a hot topic, but very few people seem to grasp what it really means or even where to begin. So in part one of this series, me and Mr. Max Isaac share our initial thoughts on the different aspects of coaching development, including properly setting expectations, creating clear standards, and the major pitfalls to avoid. This is a fantastic episode. If you're in the fitness space, if you're coaching, if you're owning a gym, if you're managing a team, you must listen to this episode. If you're outside of the fitness space, if you're an observer, if you're taking classes and you want to get a little peek behind the curtain, it's a fantastic place to start. And I would appreciate if you've enjoyed this episode or any episode of the intro, please show the love on social media. Please share the podcast. Get a few of your friends, your loved ones, your family members, your teammates to listen to the show. We would greatly appreciate it. And if you have a moment, head over to Apple leave a rating and review for us. And if you have five stars to spare, we will take them all. That goes a long way for us in helping to develop this show. I would greatly appreciate it. That's all I got for you today. So without further delay, grab a notebook, grab a chair, and let's learn a thing or two about developing coaches. Let's go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the intro. Mr. Max was just taking a really, really fulfilling satisfying sip of what was that a waterloo club soda yeah waterloo lemon lime i put this in the bottom of the barrel for flavors from waterloo top top waterloo flavors pineapple blackberry lemonade um trying to think what else lemon lime is good it's just basic it's just basic yeah, I mean, over the past, what is it, five years, 10 years, club soda, seltzer water has really taken off. And nobody's had a bigger glow up than club soda, man. You got every, <laughs> every company has like a club soda now, and you got a million different types of flavors. Back in the day, when I was a little Talk kid. Talk to me. Yeah. Yeah. When I was just a little youngster, <laughs> there was two flavors of club soda. It was plain. <laughs> Plain club soda, which would essentially just burn the shit out of your mouth because it was so bubbly. And then it was uh, lemon lime. That was it. There was only two flavors. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a really good company out of Waltham or Newton around me. It's called Spindrift. Yeah. And Spindrift. so Spindrift is really cool because they use real fruit juice in their flavoring. And so it's, it's definitely... Um, way tastier and they have this really cool um like lemon iced tea flavor that is it's killer so little little arnold palmer without the 38 grams of sugar per serving like the tall the the, I, the arizona tall boys that yeah, are the 99 cent arizona iced teas yeah 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 um, i haven't had one speaking, of those in a million years speaking of foods that ha- that got a great glow up there, there is this meme that I saw that mayonnaise has had the best glow up ever as aioli because <laughs> it, 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 aioli is just fancy mayonnaise. So, um, and, I, and I'm, a, I'm a big mayo guy. Some people really don't, don't like mayonnaise. I love it. Um, do you do mayonnaise on your hamburgers? I love that combo. Really? Uh, my, actually, my, 
My favorite combo on a hamburger is going to be mayonnaise, ketchup, and pickles. That's like, um, isn't, no, mustard is the thing that's on most hamburgers in McDonald's outside of the Northeast, I believe, right? There's, there's a condiment that is on McDonald's hamburgers that's like just exclusively not on them in the Northeast, but mostly everywhere else in the United States, it's on there. I think it's mustard. So the thing with mustard is this, um, it's like an unwritten rule that like only babies put ketchup on uh, hot dogs. Like if, like if you're an adult and you order, and if you order a hot dog at a place with ketchup, they like, they like cut it into little <laughs> small pieces for you. So there's this, um, it's like ordering a sippy, this, sippy juice. <laughs> yeah. Sippy cup. <laughs> there's this, um, there's this great, there's this great hot dog place in Natick. It's called Casey's. It's inside this old kind of railway car. It's still, it's cash only. They do, and th- this could be a big thing. They do boiled dogs, which I really like because it gets a really nice snap. Um, but I believe that if you order your hot dog with ketchup on it, they cut it in half for you <laughs> as like, <laughs> as like, as a sign, like, all right. I bitch, you want this thing with ketchup on it? They cut it half like it's for you and your baby. Get out of here. <laughs> um, but if you get it, if you get it all around there, this is my favorite way to have a dog: uh, mustard, onions, and relish. Somebody asked me this recently: if a hot dog is also called a glizzy, have you heard about this? Yeah, Matt, you're like three years late on this. Yes, it's called a glizzy. No, it's not called a glizzy. Nobody has ever well, I- called. A hot dog in the history of hot dogs. I don't, but the guys that wear high top blazers with gym shark shorts to the gym call them glizzies. You know what they're fucking called? They're called Frankfurters. That's what they're called. (laughs) (laughs) That's what my my grandparents used to call them, Frankfurters. And we're going back in time and we're calling them Frankfurters or hot dogs. That's it. All right. I'm I'm with you. I grew up on hot dogs. That, that, that was like the only thing I ate for like the first however many years of my life. Um, what was one of your go-to childhood meals? Like, do you have any iconic go-to childhood meals? Yeah. As many hot dogs as I can eat. I would just tell my mom, I just want hot dogs for dinner. I was like a very picky eater as a kid. So I'd eat like hot dogs, mac and cheese, ravioli, tortellini. I was tortellini. a... I was, I was, I was, I was a tortellini growing up. I was, I was oh, we turned a into a tortellini. With that, I, that I, diet. I, I, was, I was such a, I was such a pasta kid. Like I was just a really picky eater. My mother is a phenomenal cook. And then finally, when I was in like middle school and high school, I was like, I appreciated it. Like my mom makes all these amazing meals. I was like, oh my God, here I was just eating hot dogs and tortellini. What about, what about you? That's probably why you were raging nonstop, just constant <laughs> influx of pasta into your body. Um, no, we like we had definitely had some iconic childhood meals. I remember m- my mom would uh, whip up Velveeta mac and cheese. So, oh yeah, we were a big Velveeta family. Yeah, it came in the <laughs> like the tin foil pouch, and it was that the actual artificial cheese, like yeah, yeah, the liquid or, cheese, yeah, liquid cheese. But then she would chop up uh, usually hot dogs or like chop up some like finer broccoli and put it in there and like mix it all up. And that would be a meal. That was a big one for us. And yeah, I mean, hot dogs on the grill, man. Like, uh, 
we got into turkey hot dogs real early in the game for some reason. My parents were buying turkey turkey dogs. <laughs> turkey and dogs. All right. One well, of the reasons healthy. that I liked them is because all the beef hot dogs, they were like longer and thinner, but the turkey hot dogs, they had a more girth. They were like these girthy big boys that you would put on the grill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this, 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 this episode's taking a turn for the worst. Um, Dude, the well, girth, it, it is. Girthy hot dogs made me think of something really quickly, but we'll come back to it in a second. Well, I, I was just saying that it's summer in New England. And so I think we grill. I think we grill probably five days out of the week. Like I, I grill every night. It's, it's the easiest way to make um, really easy meals. And since I've adopted, what, what, what do you call your, I, I'm not being sarcastic here. Your, your nutrition, it's the zero one, one what zero one zero zero ingredients one plate right yep. and since I, since i have really tried to adopt that way of eating it is so easy when you're grilling and it's been it's it's actually been a huge game changer for me in that i'm doing just what just what you do it's like i'll do half my plate whatever vegetables and fruits i'm trying to eat I'll do a quarter of my plate, whatever starchy carbs I'm trying to eat, and then the rest is just for protein. And it's been it's been awesome. So well, that's awesome. I'm happy for you. It's cool. Um, there have been a, a lot of people who have hit me up that said it's it's been helpful for them to think about it in this more simplistic manner, where essentially you're just getting high quality foods, minimally as minimally processed as you can, so as little additional ingredients into the food as possible. And if you can, zero artificial ingredients is fantastic. You put those foods onto one plate, you eat that three or four times a day, depending on your goals. And, and that's a wrap on, on your nutrition. You know, I think that there's a lot of beauty in that simplicity. There's also a lot of beauty. And I've been thinking about this in terms of my fitness and, and simplifying that as well. And almost following a, a similar type of mindset in terms of working out we'll get into that maybe in, a, in another uh conversation in the future but well hold on why are you going to tease me like that what what do you mean well we have so much to talk about in this episode max we got well, i i, well, I gotta I've come been, back to girthy hot dogs too because i was right, what, i was what, cracking what was your up. thought well i was listening to um i was listening to an episode of rogan recently and he had his buddy Brian Redband on, which is a, the guy that they started the podcast together back in 2009. But they were talking about this two-year-old young kid in England. So the, the dad had been taking large amounts of testosterone cream and lathering it on his body. Like he had been prescribed testosterone cream, right? To, to help him artificially boost his testosterone and whatever goals that he has. But what was happening was that he was holding the, the baby like very soon after and coming in contact with the baby after applying this cream and the cream doesn't like, I've never done testosterone cream, so I don't know, but like it, I'm guessing that it doesn't all go into your skin. Like it remains on the surface. So what was happening was this little baby started developing very, very quickly. And the conversation that they were having was so fucking hilarious because the baby was getting these, like the article in the news was like massive sustained erections. So they're talking about <laughs> this little two-year-old baby running around and they're like, he probably has a giant <laughs> hog for lack of a better term. 
and you know the kid has like pubic hair it's it's actually probably not super funny but um the way that they were discussing it was pretty hilarious and holy cow uh, yeah it's just is is wild anyway well that's that's a that's a really good psa so if you're using testosterone cream don't hold your baby right after um don't don't hold your baby first off i can't even imagine like i like using lotion for my tattoos but like i can't imagine rubbing testosterone into my body anyway that's very strange um growing up i had um i had really bad psoriasis and i had to use all these apparently at the time i'm doing air quotes right now i had to quote unquote use all these different creams and stuff and like i was taking oatmeal baths and like lathering shit on my skin nonstop. knowing what i know now maybe there was a different route to approach it in terms of like you know nutrition or environment or whatever but maybe not as well. Um, but yeah, fucking putting cream on your body like that is a pain in the ass, dude, because it gets all over everything. A lot of these creams are like, they can be oily. They don't like necessarily get into your skin like a, a topical, like normal skin lotion does. It can be a pain in the ass. And there's definitely residue that's left over from some of that stuff. So mm. anyway, don't have your two-year-old walking around rocking (laughs) (laughs) intimidating everybody in the world (laughs) Um, jacked out out of his mind yeah yeah raging um let's talk about team development you know um one of the things that we get or i get a lot of questions on you know through my instagram is coaching development in terms of gym owners or head coaches looking to develop the coaching staff around them And this is a really, really intricate topic. There's a lot of layers to it. There's a lot of different angles. There's a lot of different tools and mechanisms that you can use. But, you know, Max, you've been running gyms for many, many years. You've been involved in a lot of different programs that have different levels of coaching development. At NC Fit, we have our own idea of what coaching development is for us. And I just want to open up the conversation, and we'll probably have a series of conversations about this topic about coaching development in the group fitness space. Um, I think that there's, it's such a massive topic, but you know, I I do want to bring it up because I know that we do have an audience of coaches and gym owners that listen to us here. And maybe some of those people are thinking about or struggling with how do they develop their, their coaches on their team? You know, one of the things that I was thinking about in preparing to talk to you about this, this topic was that like a lot of the development of a coaching staff, um, at least in, in my experience, a lot of the people who I've worked with over the years, yes, there are technical aspects to their development that 100% need to be monitored, they need guidance on, they need self-study, they need drilling, they need a whole lot of tools and tactics on that side of the equation, the technical side. But there's a soft side to the skill set of coaches, not only in their demeanor, their attitude, their presence, and the things that they, they do and say while they're delivering the material, but also the development aspect of these individuals as more well-rounded professionals in the sense of the word that 
hey, they, they show up on time. They show up dressed properly. They show up fully prepared. They answer their emails. They like, they do and say the things that they are supposed to do and say. They follow the job description. You know, like being a good employee um, and, and being somebody who can be trustworthy and held accountable to the things that they, they say they're going to do is equally, if not more important than the stuff on the, the technical side, you know, and we'll get into a conversation about why I believe that. But, you know, a lot of the conversations that I've had with coaches over the years, it's less dealing with like, how do we break down the snatch or how do we break down the clean and jerk? And more so, how do you handle these types of situations that you encounter on the floor in a group class environment? Or how do you train yourself or how do you prepare yourself or how do you do the job in a way that keeps you moving forward and doesn't have all of these sudden stops or you're constantly getting reprimanded because of, you know, you don't answer your emails promptly or you don't follow up with your customers or you don't check all the members into class, all those kinds of things that, you know, they, they don't take a ton of talent. They take a ton of effort. You have to put your full effort into making sure that those things happen. So like I said, I know it's a deeply intertwined conversation and maybe this is just the start of one, but Mr. Max, what are your thoughts? A uh, lot, lot to unpack there. You touched on a lot of stuff. So the first mm. thing I always think about when I'm thinking about coaching development is uh, what job are they looking to do for you? So are they looking to be a part-time coach? Are they looking to be a full-time coach? Um, if you're looking to be a part-time coach, rules, responsibilities are super easy. And uh, I mean, they're not easy, but they're very simple, which is you need to coach amazing one-hour classes. That's, that's the deal. For us, when we're looking to develop a new coach, if they're a brand new coach, it's a six-week onboarding, uh, six weeks, six-week onboarding session. So with two weeks of observing classes, uh, two weeks of partial lead, and two weeks of full lead, and there's a <clears throat> a full-time coach uh, and and usually a head coach or an owner who's overseeing that process, and so. With each step, um, there's check-ins, you know, so there's check-ins during the first two weeks, check-ins during the second, and then check-ins during the third. So after that six-week process, pretty easy to tell if um, that person's going to be a good fit. And also recently, we've had some people that are looking to go through a coaching on-ramp who maybe won't end up coaching for us, but are looking for some guidance. For instance, we had... uh, we had a member that was um, coaching at uh, a facility called the Phoenix, the Phoenix in Boston, mm-hmm. and she's also a, also a PT um, and was just looking to kind of hone her skills and asked if she could go through the coaching on ramp. And I was like, Yeah, of course you can go through the coaching on ramp. You know, we weren't we weren't looking for another part time coach. We we're more than ha- happy to help somebody out um, to make her a better coach because you know, in my eyes, that's only going to help. Um, the Phoenix help the classes that she's coaching help her PT clients. She's a PT in a public school system, so we um we were able to take her through that. But the the part that I that I think I really like that you touched on, which is outside of coaching class, 
like how do you how do you develop these these skills that are like you said um not really coaching skills but more like professional skills those are those are really really hard because I think for a long time when people were thinking about being a CrossFit coach, like if you were asking about being a full-time CrossFit coach, maybe eight years ago, it was like, Oh, you get to coach class. Then you get to work out all day. You know, like there was, there was a very, very different attitude towards being a full-time coach. Whereas now for all of our full-time coaches, their administrative work is, is and should be taking the same amount out of their day as they're coaching, you know, so they should be, they're going to be coaching three to four classes and they should also be doing, you know, three to four hours of some administrative work. Um, you know, with, with, with kind of the caveat here being, you know, none of our coaches are being asked to clean the gym um, on a regular basis. So we have, we have a cleaning service that comes in, of course, they should be tidying the gym, uh, very easy to stock a gym, you know, stocking a gym takes under 15 minutes every single day. If it's being done on a regular basis, maintain, you know, maintaining equipment should not take long at all. So the other roles and responsibilities are exactly what you're talking about, which is um, answering emails, uh, you know, member outreach, signing people up, you know, essentially getting to know your members outside of the hour long class. Mm -hmm. And the only way to do it, the only way to do it is to figure out how to manage your time. And that I and that I think is um, really really difficult. Um, I know it is it is for me, and a lot of younger coaches struggle with it as well because it can kind of be overwhelming to think about. You know, I'm going to need to write my lesson plan. Uh, I'm going to need to coach these classes. Now I also need to figure out when when am I going to send out these emails. I know for me personally, it's just using my Google, my Google calendar and I used to be terrible at it until mm. I was realizing that I was, I was forgetting a ton of things. Yeah. There definitely has been an evolution. I, I would say over the past, like you said, <clears throat> eight years or so, probably 10 years or so about how the perception of the job of a coach in, in our field, in the group fitness environment uh, has kind of changed over time. You know, I think, back in the day, it was like you said, it was very kind of lackadaisical, kind of low key, kind of very informal. You know, you, you coached your classes, you tried to blow people's minds every day, but you know, outside of that, it was kind of, you know, let's cobble together, maybe some other stuff that you can do around the gym. Maybe not, maybe just freaking, you know, hustle privates or whatever, you know, it was, it, it wasn't as formal. Um, and I think that that has shifted um, in a lot of people's minds out of necessity, um, because, you know, if you're going to pay somebody a premium to work in your gym, um, you know, there's not, th there needs to be more that goes into the equation than just coaching a couple of classes a day and then hanging out at the gym and, and working out. Um, you know, in, in terms of the, the technical skills of, development. You know, I, at NC fit, we kind of, we think about coaching development and feedback as an ongoing conversation. Um, one of the main aspects of what we do for the development of our team members is making sure that these 
coaches are talking to one another about the craft of coaching. I, I act, I, I want them to be actively engaging in conversation, to be asking questions, to be able to have a conversation that ego is pulled out of it and say, Hey, uh, you know, I went out there and I tried to coach this and it didn't go so great. You know, do you have any tips or pointers for me or, you know, any kind of angle in that conversation. And I think culturally that has to be, in my opinion, something that is, uh, open across the entire organization. We also have more formal feedback mechanisms in which we have class observations and, you know, coaching meetings afterwards in which the observation has gone over with the coach. Those things are necessary. I, I do think, um, the, the informal feedback is, is an absolute priority for me. I think that coaches need to be talking about coaching a lot more. The more formal stuff, I like it because it, it keeps people on their toes and it keeps them performing to a certain standard. I don't think it's necessarily as valuable as some of the other stuff that goes on. The number one thing for me on the technical side of coaching development is the constant preparation for classes. That is the, the number one thing that I think a coach can do if they want to improve the technical aspect of their coaching is number one, if you want to enlist the help of a service like the NC Fit Collective, where you have somebody who's writing a lesson plan for you and creating content and your coaches can study that to create their own class plan, that's awesome. That's, that's the, one of the main things that I love what we do at the collective is we create a coaching development system. You can read these lesson plans that are, lack of a better term, it's like a scholarly article. Every time it goes out, the coach can take the information, go out there and run a class. And over time, if they're reading these things over and over and over and over again, hopefully some of the concepts, some of the things, some of the details are sinking in. That's absolutely necessary. Now, can you do that on your own? Yes, 100%, but maybe you don't have the benefit of having you know, a team of coaches writing the lesson plans and then you studying them, but that is the number one thing. You know, If you are a gym owner or you're a coach out there and you're like, I don't know what to do for the technical aspect of coaching development, this is what you do. You make it an absolute priority, an absolute necessity that your coaches show up prepared to coach every class that they step onto the floor. That at least means that they have an understanding of what they want their focus to be for that class, that they understand the workout, that they understand what they want to do for a warm-up, that they understand what movements they're going to teach for that day and why. And they do that every single time that they coach. And I think in that regard, if you're holding your people to that standard, they will get better over time. They're, that's intentional performance or intentional reps. Right? That's the, the best way to get better at coaching, to continue to coach, but to do so with intention, to actually think about what you're doing before you go out there and then think about it afterwards as well. Yeah, so I, uh, I love that. And what I always think about is this, if you're going to get better at anything, so you want to be a better athlete, you like working out with people that are a little bit better than you, right? Like that's, that's what they say. And if you want to become a better coach, you should take some classes from somebody you consider to be, a, you know, a master level coach, or you can probably find, you know, videos, stuff like that on YouTube. You can watch people that are, you know, held in really high regard as some of the best coaches. 
But that's that's how you get better is watching masters do it, taking other people's classes, talking to those people after. I love what you just said, which is this exchange of ideas. If you're part of a, a gym, you're part of a group and there's, you know, eight to 10 coaches and you're not taking time to talk to these coaches on a regular basis about how they're coaching things, things that you like, you're not going to get better. If you're part of a gym and you're not taking, uh, you know, your, your coworkers classes and then not talking to them afterwards about things that you like, things that you thought could maybe be better. You're not going to get better. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's how it is. Like you said, it's the same thing as, you know, I want to get better at air squats. You do five minutes of air squats and you're watching TV the whole time, not thinking about all, all I care about is just getting below parallel. Well, Sure, maybe your squats will get a little bit better, but they're not really going to improve that much, right? Or what if you do five minutes of squat therapy or five minutes of something where you're actually putting focused work into what you're doing? Um, because getting better at, at the craft of coaching is like incredibly freaking difficult. And the other thing that you said is that you have to be prepared for anything. And not only do you have to be prepared for, for everything, but you also need to look back and think about, am I just, am I continuing to coach these classes the exact same way? Am I just using the same freaking formula every single time I'm coaching a class? Cause let me tell you, like, this is something that I used to fall into all the time. And now on a weekly basis, I I'm checking myself. The other cool thing is I'm back to coaching regularly, uh, three times a week, two classes a day early in the morning. And so now I'm back on the floor on a really regular basis, coaching, coaching a fair amount and making sure like on a weekly basis, looking back and thinking about the format and the way that I'm running these classes, because your members are just going to get bored. That's it. Like you, you could be a freaking phenomenal coach, but if every single time you stick to the exact same formula, it's such a lackluster performance. Like now, now it's just, you're just doing the same shit over and over and over again. And it's the same formula. And I know people will kind of maybe, maybe like push back on this and be like, well, you know, if it, if it's not broke, like why fix it? It's like, because you want to make things varied. You want to make things interesting. The best thing that you can do ever is your members are coming in and you know, you're, you're coaching the kettlebell swing and you're using some different formula for it. Like you have to try new things to see what works because also there needs to be this understanding that not everybody's going to learn the same way. You know, like you have all these people that have a different learning style. And maybe for you, it's very easy for you to coach one way that appeals to this one learning learning style. And now you've left out half the class, you know? Um, and the other thing is, and which I, which I have been doing, is texting your buddies in class or talking to your buddies after class and asking them, what they liked about class and what they would have changed. And, and listen, I, I, I know that people will also say, oh, well, like you don't want to pull, you don't want to pull the audience. You don't want to ask your members, you know, what they, you know, uh, the, Jason Ackerman put out this thing. Like, you know, you don't, you don't want to pull your, pull your members for, for certain things. Cause you know, you're never going to make them all happy. I get that in some respects, right? Like I get that with some things like, should we offer a yoga class? Should we offer this? I get that. In that case, I'm not going to ask. Don't tell me. But when you're when you're coaching classes on a regular basis, you should be asking the members, "What are some things that you like today? What hit home for you? What'd you learn from my class? 
also, what are some things that I could do better? Could just be simple as, dude, your music sucks. And in that case, keep playing the Fall Out Boy. <laughs> um, no, but I think this is, uh, you know, this is obviously an incredibly deep conversation because there's a lot to talk about. Um, yeah. Well, one of the things that I, I see a lot of coaches make the mistake about in terms of teaching and, and how they're going to teach something is, like you said, relying on the same exact way of teaching something over and over and over and over again. And this is flawed in a, in a number of ways. You highlighted one where your members are probably getting bored or maybe they're not understanding some sort of different aspect of the movement because you're only showing it or you're only teaching it this one way. So maybe there's some people who have gotten it. Maybe there's some people who are continuing to struggle with it, especially with like the more complex stuff. But the other thing that that doesn't take into account is that when you're teaching a movement to a group environment, you don't have time to teach every single aspect of the movement every single time. And you have to be really intentional about what aspect of this movement is most important for me to teach today based on the loading, the number of repetitions, the, the level of kind of quote unquote importance in the workout, how much weight does it have in the workout as compared to the other movements? How complex is it? What is my audience? Who are the people who are standing in front of me today? And more narrowly defining your focus. Now, I'm not saying that you can't quickly highlight some of the more basic mechanics of the movement, but you certainly can't on a day when there's a very heavy deadlift in the workout. Obviously, what you're talking about probably on that day is how to properly engage your your body, how to properly engage your midline and move the bar off of the ground without sacrificing the curve in your lumbar spine, without having that sharp, sudden movement in your back. How do you stay safe on that day? Now, like there's, there's a million things that you can talk about in the deadlift. You can talk about bar path. You can talk about cycling. You could talk about, you know, uh, like I said, midline engagement. You could talk about you know, set up and whether or not, you know, the hips are higher, hips are lower, blah, blah, blah. But if you are trying to talk about it all, every single time the movement comes up, sometimes a lot of the more important stuff gets lost in translation. People don't think about what's the most important thing that I should focus on for that day. So that's, again, where lesson planning really comes into the equation here and helping a coach define what, what do they want their focus to do. That's, that's, that's the mark of a young coach that I have found, which is I'm going to give him everything. Like, first off, you, you try and give your members everything. I think we've talked about this. You try and keep your, give your members everything. You give them nothing. They don't, they do not live and breathe CrossFit or whatever you're teaching them. They come here for an hour a day. So like, here's something. Um, Oh, we're, we're going over power cleans, right? Uh, uh, not only am I going to teach you all the positions, which I think it's important to run through the positions. Oh, now I'm going to talk to you about cycling. Now I'm going to talk to you about holding on to the hook grip, losing the hook grip. Now I'm going to, you know, it's like, now I'm going to talk to you about, oh, when it's light, you're not going to move your feet. When it's heavy, you are going to move your feet. Like they're, 
they're like all these things <clears throat> as a coach, you should think about like looking ahead. What's like, what's actually coming down the line, right? Because if let's say there's another barbell movement next week, it's like, Oh, watch me about to layer in some stuff where I'm going to touch on one thing today. And then the next time I coach this barbell, I'm going to talk about something else, right? The goal should be right to teach them something new to give them one thing to take away from class that's going to then carry over and continue to carry over. I mean, this is this is something that I again I I didn't realize how fortunate we were um, as younger coaches um, until I until I left CrossFit New England and was able to look back and really think about um, what we received from being at CFNE. And I will go ahead and put all cards on the table. The things that I got from CFNE first and foremost from Ben was helping me with my emotional intelligence. The social emotional piece of, of coaching is something that Ben was very good at. The other thing that Ben was very good at was getting really good coaches at the gym. And when, back when we were there, it was, it was like, you know, an all-star list of coaches. I was fortunate to take all of these people's classes and to see what they were doing in their classes. So you're seeing a number of different styles, but again, the common denominator being is we don't need to give them everything today. We need to give them something. If we are now creating this environment where they want to come back, which again, these are all the small things that we've already talked about, you know, which is member reach out, which is, you know, sending emails, which is communicating with people outside the gym. They're going to come back. I'm going to have another opportunity to coach them right? And we're going to keep this thing rolling because that's the ultimate goal, right? It's like, you're never going to coach a class and you're going to tell your members like today you're going to get fit. Today's the actual workout that like is going to get you fit, right? Like nobody would ever say that. You're like, oh, you know, um, this is kind of a drop in the bucket, right? And this is going to help push you forward, but it's a lifelong commitment. If that's true in fitness, like, Coaching and learning has to be the same thing because that's what they're doing, right? They're, they're, you're, you're teaching, they're, they're learning. Today's not the day where today's going to get a big brain. Today's the big brain day. You know, it's like, no, today you're going to learn something. Hopefully we're going to carry that forward. We're going to continue to build on this, knowing that I have a lot of time, mm. you know, with you at the gym, which is also what makes what we do so incredibly special and unique. You know, my biggest issue with other fitness offerings is there is no teaching and that it is only pushing you through certain movements. This is how you do this movement, move on. This is how you do this movement, move on. Okay, cool. Now you got it. Three, two, one, go do the workout. See you next time. The whole thing is only based off of the ability to make you sweat where I feel like at really good gyms run by thoughtful coaches, they're actually learning teaching some things, you know, I think there, I think there's a, a, a big difference. Yeah. I, I think there's a difference there too. You know, I, I'm actually, I'm a little impartial, you know, as long as the expectation for the client is set as to what right. type of experience that they're going to get. Like if you're going into a boot camp style class where they say, Hey, listen, we're going to demonstrate each movement. And then you're going to, you know, for the first 10 minutes of class. And then after that, you get 50 minutes of, you just kind of rotate through I, Hell, if the if the athlete is okay with signing up for that kind of experience, they right. understand what they're going to get. Then yeah, that's fine. But I, I do agree that in the type of environment that we are uh, working in, the group class environment for functional training, 
that there's a higher focus on teaching the mechanics and drilling the movement prior to the workout. And of course you can't learn everything in one class. That's why it's so important that the coach is thoughtful about how they might be adjusting movements for people who are a little bit newer in this, because it's, it's a, a low trajectory to a distant horizon, just like your fitness. Like, just like you said, man, like you're going to learn things over time that hopefully you're going to get you better at these movements. You're going to kind of pick them up a little bit more slowly. And then eventually one day it's going to feel like a light bulb goes on and you're going to get better. You know, one of the things you mentioned, Max, when you were talking about our time at CFNE, like it really was fucking murderer's row there for a while when you were coaching. You had Ben Bergeron, Heather Bergeron, E.C. Sinkowski, Mel Ockerby, Matt Frankel, Max Isaac. You had Kevin Montoya. You had James Hobart. I was in the mix over there. I Rachel mean, Martinez. Rachel Martinez. I'm sure there's a, a, a bunch of other people who uh, I'm, I'm failing to, to name, but like, yeah, that's like seven seminar staff members on one coaching staff at one time. I remember being shit fucking scared to go out and coach a class when Ben was in class, Heather was in class, and EC was in class. And I was like, what am I going to say to these people that they don't already know or that they are going to get value out of? And I remember I talked to, to Ben about it at one point, and he was like, we, we are in the class to enjoy the experience. Like we, we are thinking about our workout. We're thinking about having a good time. We're thinking about, you know, the, the movements obviously, but like, just be yourself, you know, just teach as if we were just another member, you know, and that helped me deal with that anxiety a lot more because I was thinking that there was this constant judgment going on. Um, but kind of getting away a little bit here, you know, in terms of, team development, like we had kind of started this conversation. One of the things I think is so, so super important, no matter if we're talking about the technical aspect of development, or we're talking about the softer skill aspect of development, is that if you are the person who's running the show, is that you have to set really clear expectations for what you want your team to perform to. What is the standard? What is the expectation that you want people to perform to. Because if you do not have that set, there is always going to be this tension, this, this probably disappoint, level of disappointment on either side of the equation where you are disappointed that your people aren't living up to your quote unquote standard that you have in your head. And your people are probably disappointed because they don't know which way is up. They don't know what they are supposed to do. Now, you know, as I'm saying that, there are some people who just naturally understand how to do things really well. You know, there are people who are highly motivated. There are people who pick up things really quickly. There are people who are go-getters. Not everybody is in that category. And I don't think that you can expect everybody to be in that category. Now, you can train people up to be more like that paradigm to be more like that example. And you can have tools and systems and process that help develop people into that type of employee for sure. But without standards, without expectation, it really is the wild west. You know, one of the things that I'm really big on at NC fit is like, if, if, if a coach is going to go out and do something and I'm going to be 
uh, let's say I'm disappointed in whatever it is. Have I properly set the standard for this person and how they're supposed to do this thing? And if the answer is no, then it's, it's on me. It's a hundred percent on me. And even if the answer is yes, and I, I have set the standard, but I haven't taken the steps to maybe, you know, walk them through the process or explain it, or I haven't given them the opportunity to ask questions. It probably again is still on me. You know, there, there's, there's so much that goes into team development that the owner and the head coach have to assume the responsibility for. They need to create the environment, create the system, set clear expectations, and then work people through that. And then you can have the system that kind of slowly roots, I don't want to say roots people out, but it becomes self-selecting in a lot of ways. People either are performing to the expectation or they're not. It's very, very clear. But if you don't have those, then it's, 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 it's just anybody's guess. You know, it, you know, you can have an employee go, Hey, I, uh, you, you showed up late for class. Well, I didn't know I was supposed to show up on time. Where is that? Where is that written down anywhere? So a big part of this conversation for me in terms of development is clear expectations. Yeah, I think that's, uh, listen, in, in any aspect of your life, clear expectations is going to be the best thing ever. And in coaching, um, the, the biggest priority in my eyes when I talk to my coaches and we meet every single week is the number one priority is member experience. And member experience, what I hone in on outside of administrative work is the hour that they are in class. That to me is the biggest priority. And for all of our coaches, that is 100% what it is based around on a weekly basis as a huge focus for us, making sure that we are doing all the small things to make that one hour as good as possible. And that is in, in as far as the standards that we set, it starts there. I mean, and listen, I got all this stuff from back when we were at CFNE because you know what? It worked, right? Like here's, here's, here's the biggest thing um, is 15 minutes before your class, the entire classroom should be set, completely ready to go. No ifs and or buts about it. everything needs to be set. That's number one. 15 minutes before class, you are done with all of your food. If you're eating, you have to eat. 15 minutes before class needs to be done. Third thing is you are on the floor, ready to interact with that first person that walks in. It, th those are non-negotiables, and that is the standard for our gym, and it has to happen. Because in my eyes, that is some of the easiest stuff that can be done. Think about how simple that is. Time your meals to make sure that you're not eating on the workout floor. Set up your classroom so that your classroom looks effing dope. Do you, like when members walk in and the classroom is set, they feel so special as they should. I did this for you, you know, like, and the, the third thing is being on the floor, ready to talk to people. There is nothing that I hate more than I'm, it's 15 minutes for class. 
people are walking into the gym and the coach is nowhere to be found or the coach is sitting down on their computer. Get up and get on the floor and talk to people. That's your job. That is your job is to talk to them. That's the job. The yeah. job is not the job is not 21 15 nine thrusters and pull-ups. No, the job is to actually make these people feel special. And that's what people need to understand. And I in and you talked about a lot today, which is, hey, listen, the, the, the coaching stuff is kind of a formula. And NC Fit Collective, whatever it is you use, the formula is not crazy difficult. Work goes into it. But this stuff of being able to, how about this? Being able to be on the workout floor for 15 minutes after and not talk about yourself. Can you do that? Can you, can you be on the floor 15 minutes for class and shut up about yourself? Instead, how about you just ask some questions about their life? What's going on in their life? It's the easiest freaking things in the world. How's your day? What are you doing this weekend? You got any big vacations planned? Like those three questions, there you go. There's 15 minutes. Like, how about this? Coaches, if you're not reading books, you're not reading any books, you're not interesting. I'm sorry. Like you should be reading books for yourself. And so you can just talk to people. Hey, if you checked out this book, what's your favorite book, right? Fuck it. Watch some goddamn movies. Watch a show. Hey, if you checked out this show, what's your favorite show? What's your favorite ice cream flavor? What's your favorite color? Like, uh, like I know this sounds ridiculous and I, I, you know, I'm starting to get hyped up. I'm sweating. I'm like my heart. Rate's at one, <laughs> I'm at, I'm, I'm at, I'm at 160 right now, but it, <laughs> But, but it blows my mind that these things don't happen sometimes, even when the standard is set. And the, the other thing is this. It's like you want to make your classes better. Talk to the members before class. They are going to hang on every single word that you say. Now, if you are disinterested in your members, if you are constantly talking about yourself, let me tell you something. Nobody cares about what you're coaching. They don't. Why are they going to care? All this dude does is talk about himself. Every time I walk into the goddamn gym, he's sitting on his computer. He's sitting on his phone. He can't even look up to talk to me. And now I'm going to, what, now you want me to hang on your word? Oh, you want me to squat below parallel? Cool, bro. I'm going to talk to my buddy. Yeah, right. You expect them that they're going to buck up the second you say, all right, everybody come to the whiteboard. And, you know, you've been ignoring them for the past 10 or 15 minutes while you've been off in your own world. I learned that yeah, lesson the hard. I learned that lesson the hard way, man. I, ben took me aside early on and said, you know, when you're, if you're behind the front desk and you're doing work and the members are walking in, stop doing work. You know, greet the members, talk to them, ask them how their day was. You know, it, I can get consumed in the work that I do. Uh, I get really kind of like tunnel vision on stuff, but it's the, honestly, when someone's walking in, that's the most important thing is that they're walking in. Dude, that's all I care about. Yeah. Well, yeah. Also, let's just, let's just go ahead and pull the curtain back. That person walking into the gym is making sure that you have a job. Yeah, for sure. Like, They're paying your if, bills. If, if every time somebody walks into the gym, if you just say something like, oh, this person's actually like, this, this is like why I have a job right now. Don't you think that'd be important? 
Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be important to you? Or how about this? If you're involved in coaching right now and the sole focus of your coaching is for your own athletic pursuits or for yourself, you probably shouldn't be coaching because the purpose of coaching is to be a teacher, is to impart knowledge onto somebody else to make their life better through fitness, through whatever it is. Facilitate their journey. Right. So if you're, if you're not a giver at heart, you're not, you're, you're not going to have a very long coaching career. If, if, if this isn't something that's like innately inside you, that you feel that there is a need for you to help people, you probably shouldn't be coaching. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it out there because let, let me also preach it to the choir. Right. Cause let me also tell you, you're, you're, you're not going to feel great because, um, if, and, and again, this is, this is a way bigger conversation, but a, a lot of people that I talk to about, about their work, the biggest thing that they talk to me about is, is how much they're earning. Oh yeah. Well, I'm about to get this bump up in pay about to, about to earn this. If you're a coach, get that out of your mind. That's not why you get into coaching. Now, is there a great financial side of coaching? There certainly can be. And I think you and I have figured out some ways that, to, to make it work. But let me tell you, my like first priority for me in my job is I just want to help people. And again, pull the curtain back further because in my life, I've been helped by people since I was like 10 years old. And all I want to do is do the same thing that people have done for me because I feel it inside me as something that I love to do. And I think it's my purpose. I think it's what I've been born to do. It's also why for a while when I wasn't coaching on a regular basis, I was pretty freaking miserable because I'm a born coach and this is what I love to do and I need to do it. You know, I feel it inside me that teaching and helping people is what I need to do. And I'm not saying that you have to say this is your life's work, but you better feel some goddamn passion behind it. And you better want to be proud about the, 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 the product that you're putting out there, you know, because if it's just to check a box, so you now have two hours to train for yourself. That's not a coach. Mm. A lot. It's a lot, a lot of good stuff in there. You know, you can tell you're really passionate about it. You better be. Um, I am too. You know, one of the things that you brought up there, you know, in terms of coaches and how they're acting on the floor and the things that they're doing and the things that they say is that this has all got to be for the athletes. It, it, it should never be about you. And this is what gets me so fucking fired up about this nonsense about eating a meal while you coach. Like, could you be any more distracted or any more selfish with the time that you're supposed to be sending or spending, excuse me, with these athletes who are paying a premium to be in the room with you? They're not paying a premium for you to eat chicken and broccoli out of your Tupperware because you did two or three training sessions butting up right to when you're supposed to be running your classes, let alone freaking thinking about preparing your class or thinking about how you're going to go out there. You're rolling down your knee sleeves. You're sweating like the bejesus and you pull a Tupperware out of the fridge and you walk over to the whiteboard. What the actual fuck? You know, I hope, I hope that some of that trash has weeded itself out over the past X number of years. I can tell you what, it doesn't happen at NC fit. Because that is one thing that we like, it, it, it's just so outside of what we view as being a, a high quality coached experience. And 
you know, I, I know that this still is a hot topic for people where it's like, why can't I eat while I coach? Here's why, because you're not fucking coaching. If you're eating this, this topic gets me really fired up. We've done episodes about it. It has come up multiple times in terms of team development, you know, where we kind of started this topic. And I know, like we said, it, it's a very deep and intricate uh, topic and there's a lot of stuff that we could get into. But one of the things that I think we both agree on is that you have to set clear expectations for how you want the job to be performed. Not only the technical aspect of actually running the class, but what are the other things that these coaches are assigned to do and how are they supposed to do them? What is the standard that they're going to be held to? And honestly, the only things that get done the right way are the things that get checked. You have to have some level of checks and balance in this equation because you, you can't just set the system and then expect that everybody every single time is going to comply. Maybe you get lucky and you have some people who are just nonstop, uh, hit the nail on the head, top performers, they don't need to be monitored. They don't need any uh, additional support. You just tell them what to do one time and they do it like that forever. Maybe you get lucky one out of fucking a hundred times, but guess what? 99 times, you're probably going to have some variability in how that person performs. It's just human nature. You have to check on these things and you have to have some level of feedback for your coaches, not only in terms of how they're performing their coaching duties, but also how are they performing the other duties that you want them to uh, perform in, in, in the normal course of their job? It's really, really important. So number one, you know, for me, set expectations. If you're thinking about what, what the hell am I going to do for coaching development in my gym? Number one, figure out what you want the expectations to be. Then provide the system or the tools or the process that allows people to flow through that to get to the expectation that you want them to perform to. Number three, monitor it. And maybe bigger than all of this stuff is that if you are the coach, uh, the head coach, or you're the owner, you have to be living this same type of expectation or the same core values, the same cultural underpinning nonstop. That's what makes leadership so hard is that if you're going to tell somebody to do something, you have to be doing it 10 out of 10 times as well, because you can't be the person who goes, hey, you got to show up on time for your classes, but then you're always fucking late for every meeting that you hold with your team. Hey, you have to make sure that you have uh, good email hygiene when you're emailing the members, but then you send off snap emails to your team that are incomplete or look like trash or whatever. Like, Though that is a disconnect sometimes that I see between owners and managers and their team. They do, they do all the right things in setting the expectations. They provide all the tools, but then they don't live it themselves or there's cracks in the foundation. And when there's cracks in the foundation, people are going to look at you and go, I don't need to do this because you don't do it. And then you don't have a leg to stand on when you're talking to them. Yeah. Maybe you can fire them and maybe they can, uh, or they can leave. But ultimately, you're going to have that problem over and over and over again until you start living up to your own fucking standard. So mm. those are two really big, three, excuse me, 
really big axioms for me in terms of this entire conversation. Number one, spend some time to sit down and set the expectations down on paper that you want your people to perform to. And you have to include that probably in job descriptions. You have to create uh, guidelines for people. They have to have an understanding so that they can look at this thing and go, oh yeah, I have to do this, this, and this. And I signed on the dotted line on this date. Then provide the tools, the system, the resources, and the checkpoints for them to be able to live in that system and thrive. And then number three is live in that system and thrive yourself. Hold yourself to the same or higher standard than you're going to hold everybody else to. Those are really good. I'm going to just throw one more in here. Throw it in. Because because four is in is a round number. Self-reflection. So I'll just put that in there. So here's here's a good one. Am I proud of the work that I'm doing? I feel good about what I'm doing. Have I really put for, put forth my best effort in the work that I'm doing? That's pretty real. I mean, do this in any aspect of your life, your relationships, right? Your work, shoot your own athletic pursuits, whatever it is. I mean, it, 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 is there any, any better, you know, compass, any other true north rather than just asking yourself after you've done something, if this is the best thing that I could have done, is this the best product? I'm not saying it did, I'm not saying am I the best athlete? Am I the best coach ever? Using, but you need to be able to use yourself, right? Is this the best effort for for today, right? Like again, and and we've been going back to this all the time because I I love it, which is the effort piece. Did I put forth my best effort? That's it. Ask yourself that. Go go coach a class this week, I, and I'm dead serious. I finish coaching like my five fifteen six fifteen. I sit down. After that class, and I really think about like, did I put forth my best effort? Like, did I absolutely sell out for these people today? Did I give them everything I could have possibly given them? And and I'm going to remind you, I'm not saying did I give them every single iteration of every single movement, but did I actually give them everything that I had to give them in that class? I mean, shit, not going to plug whoop here, but I am. Sometimes my strain is higher from coaching than it is from my own workout. And I'm not saying because I'm doing cartwheels, backflips, and all this other stuff, but I will tell you it's because the amount of passion and the amount of energy and the amount of effort that I'm putting into my classes is truly everything that I have, right? Like I'm trying, I'm trying to give them everything. And the reason is, is because hopefully those people leave and they have now had the best hour of their day. They have now had the very best experience. They could have been having the worst freaking day. They could have got zero sleep. Their kid kept them all up all night. They're dealing with some shit at work. Who knows what else they're dealing with? They came for an hour. And during that hour, they completely forgot about anything else that they had in their life. And they were able to let themselves go and just experience what it is to focus on themselves and let somebody else take them through this guided hour of sweat, barbells, kettlebells, whatever it is. Um we could do a whole episode on self-reflection and self-evaluation. And I think it would be highly beneficial. The, I agree with you wholeheartedly. That is the ultimate question that everybody needs to ask themselves in nearly every aspect of your life. And I had a conversation, I believe it was with Sal Frazella, who's the president of First Form, highly motivating guy. Uh, Andy Frazella is his brother. Andy Frazella is kind of like a he's become more of like a cultural icon in, in this like self-development, very like uh, highly driven individual. And they're very successful with first form. And one of the things that he said is like, you got to look yourself in the mirror every night. You got to ask yourself is, did I do everything today that I could have done to make 
today is success or this thing is success. And the hard part about that is it's really fucking easy to lie to yourself. It's really easy to lie to yourself. It's really easy to be like, yeah, you know, I did, really did do everything today. But you know you didn't. Or it's really easy to not look in the mirror at the end of the day, brush your teeth, look down, and then walk out of the fucking bathroom. It's hard, man. I do think that we should do an episode about that and about our particular mindsets and how we, the pros and the cons, because there is, there's yep. pros to this mind, there's pros to this, and there's also cons, there's downsides to this. But one of the things I am going to start doing is I am going to start rubbing testosterone cream on myself and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then hugging a baby, hugging all my members, um, hugging all the members. <laughs> the members are going to start to get these massive gains. Everybody, yeah. <laughs> um, everybody wait, walking wait, wait. around just muscled up. I, I know we're about to sign off. Are you yeah, going to work out off. today? Are we going to work out? And what are you going to do? Um, I, I did some jujitsu yesterday, um, kept my hips in check. You know, jujitsu is particularly hard on the hips I'm finding. Um, I think today what I want to do is I want to try, it's a really, really beautiful day here. I want to try and get outside and maybe pound the pavement just a little bit for maybe like a walk run type of thing. One of the things that I have heavily neglected over the years I, when I first started my fitness journey was I was, a, I was really big into running. I loved running. I ran all the time. I ran 5Ks. I ran 10Ks. I ran two-mile soft sand race on the beach. I would run every day in the soft right. sand. I was lifeguarding. I just, I just never run anymore. I don't run a whole lot. And one of the things that is like very interesting about running for me is we think of running as cardio, which obviously, yeah, your heart is getting work. Your lungs getting work. But running is also weightlifting. You're moving your body through space. Like you're literally yeah. moving your own body weight. It's the only cardiovascular exercise, you know, stair climbing, which is kind of essentially running, same kind of deal. But you don't get that when you're on a bike. You don't get that when you're on a rower. So, you know, when I can get my hips back to a place where I feel really 100% confident in them, I, I definitely want to explore running more. I, uh, I've been loving running recently. And I do probably one steady state run and one sprint run a week on the true form. Um, and I've been, I've been really enjoying it. We have a member that works for Saucony. And so I got the, I got the inside scoop on some dope kicks. Um, yeah, I think, I believe it's Saucony by the way. Oh yeah. Saucony. And <laughs> today I, today I already worked out as well. We did uh 30 minute clock, one thirty on one thirty off. So it's 10 rounds. 20 calorie row max calorie ski in the remaining times so it was it was great 30 minutes i'm done and now i'm about to go walk with my pups nice uh nice. have a great nice day man love you buddy talk to you soon love you bye hello friends mdv here thank you for listening to the intro with mdv podcast and if you enjoyed today's show please subscribe for weekly downloads wherever you listen to your podcast. Remember, we have a new episode coming to you every Tuesday. And if you have time and five stars to spare, please leave me a rating and review on iTunes. If you're looking for more out of me, MDV, you can find me on Instagram at MDV underscore FIT. Until next time, friends, let's go.